Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The green jacket gets slipped on John Rahm. The Spaniard picks up his second major victory yesterday in Augusta, at Augusta rather, in a interesting weekend there amongst the Azaleas where there was plenty of intrigue, plenty of storylines, and plenty of terrible weather. But the weather was good enough for them to finish the third round and sneak in the fourth round as Rom won his first green jacket. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III. Of course, I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow. we got a good show lined up for you today. Plenty to get to, plenty to recap over a weird weekend in sports, weather wrecking havoc on a multitude of things. Weather did not wreak havoc on the Pelicans' chances of doing better for the playing tournament. They did that all by themselves. We'll get to that, by the way. Didn't think we are going to let that slip through, did you? No. No, no. But let's start off with the Masters. Rom, just look. Conditions were not ideal. The conditions were not ideal the entire weekend, really. Let's be fair. And we saw the golf course chew up and spit out most of the golfers. Sunday, things changed where the conditions got to the point where you start seeing low scores. But credit John Rahm for having a low score on Saturday. In the rain, in the darkness, he was able to just go, just carved up the course. Phenomenal performance by him. And that put him in position to make the run that he did on Sunday. He caught Brooks Kepka, who... Had a bad round. Typically, he doesn't do that. Now, is that because Brooksy isn't accustomed to playing that many holes in a tournament, especially on the final day? Don't forget, his body started breaking down on him a few years ago. He's never really been right. But as Dawson pointed out last week, he'd been playing better on the Live Tour. Did he just get tired? It looked that way to me. He just looked tired, looked a little gassed to me. And then he, you know, lost a little bit of his confidence. And John just was. And you saw a lot of good low scores on Sunday. Jordan Spieth did very well after kind of a shaky up and down tournament. Lefty, Phil Mickelson comes out of nowhere to shoot the lowest round ever for a golfer over the age of 50 at the Masters and tied his own personal record for lowest round score at the Masters. Three-time Masters winner, sure didn't look like the game had had passed him by. He looked good. A couple of the live guys looked good. That wasn't really a storyline either, 
right? We're a year into this. And I know some people still make it a storyline. Look at your final leaderboard. Kepka, Phil, Patrick Reed, all in the top four. And they'd been awful. So I think that kind of validates a certain level that these guys aren't washed. And that they're going to be in the conversation at these majors. Which I know the PGA Tour doesn't like and a lot of PGA Tour supporters don't like. But we'll ask Scott Rabelais when he joins us if it was buzzed about. But it sure didn't seem to be a big topic this weekend, Dawson. It seemed to be more like, oh, Phil played really well. He was quiet at the Champions Dinner. There didn't seem to be that much buzz about the live versus the PGA tour. It seemed like everyone treated each other with respect and were professionals. It, it didn't seem to be a big issue to me. Yeah, probably would have been a bigger deal if Kepka would have won. Um, That's fair. You'd, you'd have seen that. Now, the thing, like, I, you know, it's it's interesting to say, like, that became the narrative. Oh, live only got washed guys. Um but, like, Patrick Reed, Brooks Kepka, I mean, those guys were never washed. Like, Kepka had injuries that caused him. His his whole storyline was a little bit separate. Um, and Patrick Reed was, you know, playing fine golf. He wasn't at the top of his game when he had won, you know, the major that he's won. But but he's never been a guy that's dominated. He's never been a no, top he's five never, guy. Right. Like, but, that's not who he is. And so, but I don't know. Yeah, but, like, the live didn't get the best play. Dustin Johnson was the exception where everyone said, wow, he's playing really well, and he goes over there. Everyone else had their issues, but they're all guys. I mean, the guys who were up at the top of the board on Sunday were all guys who have been there before. It wasn't like you had these Correct. young live guys who are trying to make a name for themselves over there that just all of a sudden surged. No, this was guys that, which now, again, with the major qualifications being what they are, um, it's going to be very difficult for those live guys to be in those tournaments other than Kepka and Mickelson who have exemptions due to winning tournaments. So correct. that's another storyline moving forward. Um, and, you know, I get the sense Kepka. it feels like he's ready to be back on the tour. Um, he did not wear his live uh, jersey, which we saw the other guys wear. Patrick Reed, Phil Mickelson had their logos on there. Kepka didn't. He wore his Nike, his Nike gear that he's always worn. Um, he talked about kind of the reason he went over there was because of how beat up he was and how he didn't feel like he could compete on the PGA Tour. You notice that a little bit in the great Netflix documentary series where he's you could tell that he is absolutely petrified that his body is breaking down on him. Right? It, was, it was a tough knee injury, too, and I mean, Correct. that's kind of been chronicled. Like, it was not your average golfing knee injury. It was, uh, it was something that he had to really work his way back from. Right. Brooks is not Ian Poulter. Right. I, I, you know, he's not at the tail end of his career. He's just not. So, but I did find that interesting. Rory didn't make the cut. Yeah. Like, I just, I wonder, he's so good, right? We, we've talked about that. Rory is one of the top three best golfers on the face of the planet. But I do wonder if the streak continues because we've never seen someone in their prime. In their prime, Dawson, not win majors. Like we're going on a couple of presidential terms now. This, this, these are his prime years. Like Jack was dominating and winning, or at least finishing tied for second or tied for third. Tiger, you know, when we talk about these guys, and for War, for Rory, it's not as if all the rest of the guys in the world, all of a sudden, are going to get bad. Think about all the guys who are under the age of 30. By the way, another under the age 30 champion at the Masters. 
that continues that recent trend. Goes all the way back to Jordan Spieth in 2015, Danny Willett the next year, Sergio, Patrick Reed. You take out Tiger and DJ winning back-to-back in 1920. But Matsuzama, Shuffler, John Rahm. All under the age of 30, by the way, when they won the Masters. So the Masters continues to be kind of the breakthrough tournament for young golfers. And it's not to say that Rory won't be able to win another major. It's just, it's a weird thing with Rory. When you saw him play and he kind of took over the golf world, you're like, wow. Wow. And then for him not to win another major is just head-scratching. Because we've never seen that. We've never seen a guy open up. He was a child prodigy, just like Tiger was. A child prodigy out of Ireland. Takes the PGA Tour by storm. Wins majors. World's best golfer. And then is unable to win a major. Like, it's just mind-blowing. I think we've seen it. Who? I mean, I, I think I think Jordan Spieth's the same way. He came in, won a bunch at the beginning, and hasn't won a major in six years now. Like, I... It's tough, and I think also what it shows you is how incredible the run that Tiger Woods put together in the 2000s was. Like That just doesn't happen. Golf's not, especially now, where the game has grown and there's, you know, tons of top players every week. Like There's just that many really, really good players. Um, It's just tough to win at the top level, and Rory's been in the mix, I mean, double-digit times in the past four or five years, and it just hasn't happened, but... Uh, he's still playing well. He had a bad weekend at Augusta. I think that's golf, and I think he's going to be back, and I think he's going to win one eventually. I just think it shows you that there's just a separation level between what Tiger and, to an extent, Phil uh, were able to do in the 2000s, and that run of dominance is something that we're, we're just never going to see again I, at that level. I don't, I don't know if we're ever going to see it again. You know, you saw it with Jack Nicklaus um, in his day, and you saw it with Tiger, and I just that's that's the exception, not the rule. I think that's more the story there with what Roy... Now, you know, Rory's taken it upon himself, and we touched on that last week. The pressure he now has as being this PGA Tour spokesman guy. I do. Um, I do worry. Look, just from a golf perspective, I have no dog in the fight. You know, with, with him doing that, I do worry that it takes away from because there's so many great golfers under the age of 35, right across the board. Which means everyone's putting in the work. Everyone is physically fit. Everyone has a drive to succeed. With the extra responsibilities and being the face of the tour, does that hurt him in that regard? Just from a golf perspective. Because there's all the additional responsibilities that comes with that. It could. And, um, you know, we'll... It's it's also look the added pressure for Rory every time he goes to Augusta trying to complete the career Grand Slam. I, I think that's something we've seen it with multiple guys. Phil, I mean, it's been happening. It with feels Phil like the US Phil Open. with the U.S. Open, doesn't it? Right for it a does. decade now, yeah. and and Phil, you know, as well as Phil played on Sunday, Phil's going to go to Los Angeles Country Club in a couple of months, and that same storyline is going to be there about how and look, Phil at fifty two, fifty three years old. I don't think he's going to play well at the U.S. Open. Like I just think that test of golf is kind of something that probably past him but he has a nice little moment there at Augusta where he makes this late surge and makes a bunch of birdies on the way home and you know it was interesting too and the commentators kind of talked about this I watched a lot of golf channel coverage after the broadcast as well and Phil was was you know America's sweetheart for how many forever long and, and a lot of people took him over Tiger like was the if you wouldn't want to root for Tiger you were rooting for Phil and that was kind of a rivalry and and he was the guy 
And then in the past couple of years, that entire reputation has just kind of been tarnished, and now he's not really the fans of, you know, he doesn't have a ton of fans at all. Um, we heard yesterday, too, it was kind of funny, there was some hesitancy at first when he started to make that run from the crowd, from the gallery. Uh, by the end, it seemed like they were kind of on board, you know, and they kind of went back, and, and that, that'll happen when you have a guy who, who you know people recognize and know, and he started playing well, and eventually that kind of turned. But it's it's the been the villain thing doesn't fit him, and just, he did, and doesn't. I don't think that was his plan. You know, no. I think it just happened the way it did. There was a couple of things that he did and a couple of decisions that he made that I don't know. Maybe he would go back on if he had a chance to. But he seems you know in the like I said, I, again we'll see how the tour handles players potentially trying to get back from live. I think Kepka would be the first one to try, and maybe he's already trying. Uh, Phil seems like he's probably just more invested in staying with the lift thing um, and just, you know, ready to accept it. And we'll see what happens. But again, Phil is going to be playing at Augusta however long he wants to as a champion there. He's going to be playing in the U.S. Open. and Three-time champion. Right. And, and, and we're going to see him at most of the majors that he's that he's eligible for, which I think, you know, as far as I'm concerned, are going to be most of them with some of the exemptions he has. Correct. And um, from there, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. It was a great end to the weekend, though, right? Because it was so tough. We'll have a discussion about the featured group coverage from Masters.com and about those decisions. <laughs> I'm like, why isn't Brooks Kepka and John Rahm in the featured group coverage on Saturday? Why? I think the Masters has the best app and the best coverage of any sporting event around. I know the, what you're talking about with the feature group stuff, but overall, like the limited commercial breaks, the actual emphasis on the golf, I think, is, is better than any sporting event. And the Masters... So you didn't find it annoying that you didn't get to see the leaders? It was annoying, but I think it was... The, man, the man's come out hard. Come out strong well, to defend well, the Masters.com coverage. Well, because, for one, um, I actually kind of learned about the way that the Masters does their TV contracts. I don't know for sure if this is still the case, but I don't know if they take royalties because they just they basically exchange that for more control of the broadcast. Mm, I think you're right. And, I mean, there's very limited commercial interruptions, which in sporting events today we see that No, that, that, that's amazing. That, that's amazing. My only problem was, and calm down. I, I no, don't, no, you know, it's fine. You, you made it out like I talk bad about your mama. Um, you know uh, that she was large or something. Uh, she was fat. I didn't say that. I didn't say any. I didn't say anything bad about your mom. I just questioned the Masters' focus. You know, featured group coverage. Simmer down. It, it would have benefited them to go to a live in look in to the to to the even if you couldn't have them part of be the featured group. You could have done a cutaway to a shot, like that. That that's not that hard to do. Yeah, no, they, they could have they done better with that. We also had trees falling down and somehow well, not hitting anyone. What a weekend. Trees falling down. Tiger. Looked really rough. <sighs> we want him to still play, right? He still wants to play. He probably shouldn't play. I, I, I'm just, I'm, it was sad. It, it was sad to see him out there. He looked like an 85-year-old man. Yeah, but you know the thing about it all? He still made the cut against some of the best golfers in the world. So still, still made the cut. He's going to continue to play. Um, and it's just going to be like this. We're not going to hear from him, and then he's going to show up at he's the He's going to show up for the majors. And look, he'll still be there. My problem is his body's not going to allow him to really compete because you're going to have to play other tournaments in between the majors. Well, but the, the, thing, the good thing, too... If you're looking for him to compete, Augusta's the the most difficult of any, and he's talked about that because the, of the, the hills. hills and the walking. Yep. And he's not going to take a cart, whether they would approve it or not. He's not going to do it. He came out very strongly against people who have wa- applied for the cart waiver in the past. He's always been John against Daly. it. 
uh, and he's not going to do it. So if, if no. that's something he's not no. going to, he's going to continue to. Sh- and if he can't, if he comes to the point where he can't walk around Augusta, then that's probably when he'll hang it up. I agree with you, but he's never going to take a cart. He's just not going to be that guy. That's just not how he's built. So great weekend at Augusta as John Rahm slips on the green jacket for his second major victory. Another under age thirty champion at the Masters. It's kind of become in the last ten years or so the place where you can break through and win your first major. We'll talk more about what happened this weekend at Augusta when Scott Rabelais joins us from the Baton Rouge Advocate. He covered the Masters. He'll join us in about 15 minutes from right now. Right now, though, we got to take a timeout. When we return, New Orleans Pelicans had a golden opportunity. It was right there for the taking. And they just said, ah, we're good. Thanks, but no thanks. We'll talk about the Pels next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. The Pelicans are in the play-in tournament. Let's go. Let's go. How excited are you, D'Lo? Your Pels, they finished strong, got that win at Minnesota. Oh, wait, no, they didn't. Yeah, no. It it, it took uh, players getting kicked off the team mid-game on the opposition. <laughs> they had not Players in the tunnel breaking so, their hands. So, so this is what happened yesterday. The Pels are in Minnesota, and they have a lead. They're facing off against a team that was missing Nas Reed, one of their great rotational players, former LSU Tiger. He was out with an injury. Carl Anthony Towns was in foul trouble. Rudy Gobert punches a teammate. Actually punched a teammate during the game, and him and his teammate had to leave the game. So everything is in favor of the Pels. And what do they do? They lose. Now they're the nine seed for the play-in tournament. Woof. Woof. Unbelievable. Just Like, the other team had their best player in foul trouble, had another one of their great players punch a teammate. Both of those guys had to be taken to the locker room. And another one of their best players was injured. And the Pels found a way to lose the game. Yeah, but I think the guy who got punched came back in the game. That's true. So therefore, there wasn't much going right. They they didn't have much going. Again. No, it was crazy. It was it was. It's it's one of those things too when they're up at the time too. They're up by almost double digits, and yes. they're sitting there going, "Man, this one's going to get ugly for Minnesota. They're falling apart." And it's weird too. I guess it's one of those like rallying situations. Like the guys in, on the bench sat there and said, "All right, we finally." Which I I get the sense Rudy Gobert's not the most liked guy in the, in the Timberwolves <laughs> locker room before this incident. Yes. Um, he's done some things in his career that didn't make a lot of sense in general. But um, anyway, yeah, no, it was just... New Orleans shot 3 of 21 from three-point range. And that's the difference because you got a good performance from B.I. I mean, you got a vintage performance from 42. B.I. He gave you 42. Yeah, you got... Trey had a decent game. I mean, you just... 
first of all, the, the, the coaching decisions, I haven't been very critical of Willie Green this year, and I think a lot of times, again, it's an 82-game season, and I think stuff gets magnified when it shouldn't. I thought last night, I thought it was a, I thought it was a very bad coaching performance. I, how you thought Herb Jones was just going to defend Carl Anthony Towns all night and that was going to be your plan? I, Cat had five fouls, and they never went to Jonas inside. to just I mean, literally, if Jonas makes a couple moves, you get a foul on Cat, he's gone. But he goes for 30 against you, and Jonas doesn't play at all in the fourth quarter. He had 18 rebounds, and he didn't play in the fourth quarter. And then you got out-rebounded late. Like, in critical spots, you did not get rebounds. And so I don't understand, and we've, we've seen this before this year. We've talked about And he said afterwards, like, oh, Minnesota decided to go small, so we had to counter it. They had Cat on the floor who's seven feet tall. I, I don't know if I agree with his logic there. Like, you can go Jonas with Cat. And then play small the rest of your life. It's lineup. all about advantages, and they're giving you an advantage with what's happened. And cats in foul trouble take advantage of it. Oh, I thought it was. I, I, I had never. I, I sat there and they go down possession after possession, and Herb is trying to guard a guy who's five inches taller than him in the post, and they're bringing double team help, and it's creating open looks. And I was just like, what are, what is wrong with Jonas? Story's he's not in the game. What, what's the issue here? I'd rather Jackson Hayes have been out there. Like, just give me somebody who can challenge Cat with size. There we go. And they never did it. They just, they let, and it's not, now, to their credit, Herb did a pretty good job against the seven-foot. Like, he was do, holding his own. But again, there were certain situations where, with the positioning, he's got no shot. But you're tying his hands behind his back. Like Yeah, I just, and, and, and you could have had Herb out there on Anthony Edwards if, if you had someone else difficult down than they need to be. That's what they do. Like, I, th- I really think that's what, I think that's the, the deciding factor in this game, is the inability for them to make an adjustment and go back to Jonas. And then, again, if Jonas is in there, Herb can guard Anthony Edwards, who was the Timberwolves' best player. And you, and you took Jonas out, and you know it would have been great to have him there to rebound those missed free throws late in the game too, right? right In the fourth, yeah. Right, and that's the <laughs> and, other thing. And it's, he wasn't there. You're not sitting there going, well, you're, you're, you're missing out on Jonas' offense, but it's, it's we did it for defensive reasons. Like, you got beat in every aspect you didn't have him. You got beat on the boards. You got beat inside. I, I just don't really know what the thinking was there. And, Again, the post the post game comments didn't really clear anything up for me to be honest. I'm just about as confused as I was when I saw it live. 38 points the Timberwolves bench scored in this game. The Pels had 8. There you go. They struggled by, by, by uh, behind the three-point line and Minnesota's bench shined. And you you had the opportunity to avoid all of this and instead, now you drop down to the 9 seed. If this was actually the playoffs back before COVID happened, they wouldn't be in the tournament, would they? Because they weren't good enough to be the eight seed. Which we we texted back and <clears throat> forth about, like how how that should have been the way it was. How in, in, incredibly, um, you know, exciting would that game have been if it was to determine who's in the playoffs, as opposed to oh, you know, this team's going to go play here for this playing game, and this team's going to play here. That could have been this is it, like win or go home. But we have a playing tournament, so you know the Pels get a chance to play Oklahoma City or whatever. Oklahoma City, they were three and one against the Thunder during the regular season. That is the nine ten matchup. That'll be at the Smoothie King Center Wednesday night at eight thirty. If they lose, their season's over. If they win, then they will visit the loser of Tuesday's Timberwolves Lakers game, which should be a, a fairly entertaining game. Um, Edwards is something else. Ugh. We're four years into the Griff-Zion-BI era. The Pelicans have finished the regular season 13th, 11th, 9th, and 9th. Just going to leave that right there.
That's progression. You are you are so optimistic. I love this. This man brings optimism. Really not. To the I make show. I make sarcastic like <laughs> little comments, and you you confuse him for optimism. Uh, but it's okay. No, oh man, and and uh, yeah, the Timberwolves gave it to you on a silver platter, and the Pelicans are like Willie Green's like, no, nah, bro, we good. <laughs> we want to do this like we did last year. But here's the difference: they're not facing a team that was 14 games under 500 like they did last year when they faced the Spurs. By the way. Playing tournament's going to be a little bit more difficult this time around. Yeah, they they won three or four against the Thunder, but there was a game that I was in the house for that I covered, right. and it was not the game they won. It was not any of the three they won. So I have a bad memory of uh, watching SGA go off against the Pels, and I'm kind of concerned that's going to happen again. we got to take a timeout. We'll talk more about the New Orleans Pelicans when Christian Clark from The Advocate joins us later on in today's show. But coming up next, Scott Rabelais live from the Masters. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. John Rahm, the Spaniard with the German name, gets his second major victory as he puts on his first green jacket yesterday, playing out of his mind the last few days there at Augusta. To recap it for us, as well as to talk about <coughs> Tiger, Rory, Phil, and Brooks Kepka and all the other storylines there from the Masters, is our good friend from the Baton Rouge Advocate, the award-winning columnist, Scott Rabelais, joins us. Rab, good morning, brother. How does it feel to get another Master in the books? Well, not necessarily John Romfields because you know, he won like three point two four million dollars, but but pretty good. <laughs> yeah, he it's a, it's a good day at the office for him. Give me your big takeaway of what you saw from John over the weekend. Well, he's you know he's been jockeying for number one in the world this season with with uh, Rory McIlroy and with Scotty Scheffler, who won the Masters last year. And when he's on, he's he could be the best in the world. I mean, it's just a matter of whose week it was, and it was his week. Rory missed the cut. Scotty couldn't putt. And uh, John, uh, one, the other the other member of the big three in golf right now, took advantage. And uh, you know, rolled through a four-stroke victory, and uh, was was very impressive. I heard some announcers say during the tournament that he didn't think his game has a weakness. And um, that's true. I think everybody's got a little weakness. But he's when he's on, he's very, very good. He's won like four times already this year. What was the biggest surprise for you over the weekend? Biggest surprise that Rory uh, played so poorly, missed the cut, just 72-77. Um, uh, never a factor, uh, just couldn't get it going at all. And um, yeah, that was that was uh, big. You know, he's still trying for the career grand slam. He's won the Masters, and everyone says his game is made for uh, for Augusta, but it hasn't come through for him yet. And, He's starting to wonder if it ever will. It's, it's hard to win the career grand slam. Only five players have done it. And Brooks is trying to become the only the eighth player to win the Masters, the U.S. Open, and the PGA. Rom is the first European to win the Masters and the U.S. Open. It's, these things are hard to win. Um, and just because you look like you should doesn't mean that you will. And uh, that, well, that was the biggest surprise for sure. How surprising was it to see Phil Mickelson and Brooks Kepka both play fairly well 
over the weekend. Kepka had a final round he'd like to forget, but for both of those guys that haven't been really factors for a while, they played really well as well. Uh, Brooks is not entirely because he won the Live Golf Tournament, uh, their last tournament in, in or- near Orlando. Mickelson total surprise. He had no form coming on at all. You know, and he, he didn't even play in the Masters last year. You know, he skipped it after making those comments about the Saudis being scary uh, people uh, who fund the Live Golf Tour. But he played brilliantly. I mean, you know, I still think Phil has tarnished his reputation and his legacy uh, as one of golf's favorite people of all time, but uh, in an Arnold Palmer kind of way. But you, you have to be astonished and, and impressed by how well he played uh, this uh, this weekend. Uh, to, to shoot a 65 is his best round. He's 52 years old. He's got his best final round ever at the Masters. So for a three-time, for a guy who's won three green jackets, that's really saying something. We're talking with Scott Rabelais of the Baton Rouge Advocate. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. How tough was it to watch Tiger play or try to play? Oh, it's, it's, he's, he's painful and it's painful to watch. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's not uh, nearly what he was. I mean, he was through with a foot injury. I don't know how many more times we're going to see Tiger Woods, unfortunately. It's very, it's very sad. Wrapping up our conversation here with Scott Rabelais, who joins us as he's getting ready to come home from Augusta. Uh, just give me your give me your final thoughts on the tournament as a whole, with all the conditions, with the trees falling down, terrible weather. Yet we we had a great Sunday of golf. Uh, what was your you know kind of final thoughts on the whole weekend as a whole? Um, the weather was awful. Uh, I mean, and it was great, and it was hot, and it was sunny, and it was cold, and it was windy. It was everything, of course. And some trees fell. <laughs> you know, it was it was a little of everything. Um, kind of put us through the ringer, but in the end, it was another classic match. It was a beautiful Sunday. There was a great fight. Ron won by four, but it was it ended up being a great battle uh, down the stretch with a lot of guys in contention. And uh, we've got a great champion and someone who I think can well win the Masters again uh, one day. The, the, the future is limitless for John Rom. All right, bud, I'll get you out of here with this because I know you're ready to, to get on the plane and, and head home. How many pimento cheese sandwiches did you eat over the weekend? Three. That's kind of a kind of a career low for me, I think. I'm proud of you for showing restraint, brother. Appreciate the time, bud. Be safe coming home. Thanks, Ray. Take care. Scott Rabelais making time for us as he was boarding his flight to come home from Augusta. He goes every year. He's been going to the Masters, I think, for like 20 years now. And, you know, he mentioned Rory. That was kind of a surprise of how poorly he played. I don't think we're surprised by Tiger because we know that he's kind of... Look, uh, Tiger Woods nearly lost his leg. Nearly died in that car wreck. So the fact that he can even walk is a win. Uh, Let's be real. I I know we want Tiger to be what he was. We want 2019 magic again. And seeing him, you know, be on the cover of Sports Illustrated with no lettering, no type, just the picture of him at Augusta. But I don't think that's going to happen. It's just not. I think you might, you might see glimpses, you know, and and 
You think you, you think Tiger can still win a major championship? I, I don't think he'll win one, no. But I think you'll see glimpses where he plays at a high level and and puts his. I think you might see uh, you know something comparable to what we saw from Phil yesterday. I, I don't know if he'll shoot sixty five in the final round at Augusta, but I think you'll see some glimpses and flashes. Like the fact that he's continued to, I wouldn't say contend, but compete at the level he has. Like again, it's you know we saw Sandy Lyle play in his last Masters over the weekend, right? You know he's sixty five years old and he was I think what uh, thirteen over par in two rounds. Like that's not what Tiger's going out there and doing. He's going out there and making the cut. He's he finished higher than Rory McIlroy did. I mean he finished higher than a lot of significantly top ranked players in their prime. And so that still kind of shows you that. Like what he's doing again, like everything that he went through with the car accident, that's after he did his, you know, everything to work his way back after the back injuries and everything else that he had. Like it's so I think it's remarkable. And I do think we're going to see a couple of flashes here and there. I think he's going to continue to play. And, you know, we saw it kind of emotionally about St. Andrews last year because we, you know, St. Andrews is not the host of the Open every year. Um, I think it was a little different at Augusta. You know, he didn't give any indications that it's going to be the last one. I do think it's something that I don't know if he's going to be able to admit it in the moment that it is the last one because I think he's always going to – I think it's going to be something where in the course of his preparation, he just kind of realizes he can't do it anymore. Um, But for now, I think we'll see a couple of flashes here and there. But, no, I I don't think he's going to win another major at this point. But I said that before he won the last Masters, you know, in 2019. So I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility – yeah, but it would be very shocking, and I think it would take a it would take an ideal set of circumstances, some good breaks, and you know maybe a divine intervention for it to happen. I think. I think he can be Fred Couples. He can make cuts, get to the weekend, show a couple, you know, some show some flashes. I mean, Freddie won the Masters in '92, right? So he continues to be there, even though he's had back issues and is nowhere near the golfer that he once was, but he still shows you a little bit, right? I, I think that's probably what you can expect from Tiger, if the, I had to be honest. And the other thing that gives me, like, you know, reason to stop there and say I think we'll see flashes is, like, Thursday's round, if he putts remotely well, which you, you wouldn't consider of all the injuries, you'd think the putting is something that he can maybe, you know, still have in his back. Like, he'd have been two, three under par. Like, he he left a ton of eight to ten foot putts out there and so that's like where like his ball striking was decent he drove the ball down the middle for the most part and then he just couldn't putt and then that kind of changed throughout the weekend but like that's where you sit there and go you'd expect him to putt better but that that is one thing since he's come back he's actually struggled with the putter which is not really what you'd expect you'd you'd think the full length swings would be more difficult with the injury so tiger obviously withdraws rory missed the cut so did justin thomas you know, you had some bigger names miss the cut over the weekend. Bryson DeChambeau, JT, Rory just didn't make it. Bubba Watson missed the cut. And you had, you know, a couple of withdrawals in addition to Tiger, including Will Zer- uh, Zelatoris, who did so in the very early, early on Thursday in the first round. Poll question of the day. What was the most surprising part about Sunday at the Masters? Rom surging for the win, Kepka choking it away, Phil's late charge the top five, or Tiger's withdrawal due to injury? 79% of you say Phil's late charge the top five, 21% say Kepka's choking away. JPK the OD says, like seeing Phil give him late scare. I bet Jay Monahan was more nervous than your average Pels fan. 
Yeah, I, we already know who Jay was rooting for. And he was rooting hard for John Rom. Because then he looked up at that leaderboard and went, oh. Ralph, of these four, Phil for sure, he had been playing terrible on the Live Tour. Honestly, the Live Golfers repped well with Kepka and, and uh, Cheetah Reed up there as well. But Salty nailed it. Amateurs rarely make the cut, much less lurk near the top of the leaderboard. Steve, Salty Steve said, I think it's the amateur from Texas A&M finishing under par and competing with the world's best. The kid played awesome. He did. When he got paired up with Kepka and Rom. I think the moment was a little too big for him. When he got to the third round, and you, and you could see it, he had a couple of bogeys early, right? But to be that old, and you're paired up with multiple major champions at Augusta, and you kind of hold your own, that's impressive. And now he has to go start a tournament today, apparently. 36 holes, carry your own bag, tournament today. Yeah, he won't be an amateur for long. Tom says, to be honest, the fact that field charging was the most surprising due to the fact that most of us had completely written him off. Anyone who saw, who saw Tiger knew he wasn't going to make it. Kepka is going to Kepka, and Rom looked good all turning. What does Kepka is going to Kepka mean? Yeah, I was going to say. He, the, the guy's won multiple it's the first majors. time, by the way, the first time he ever gave up a 54-hole lead at, in a major was yesterday. So, I mean, there's not really, again, that, I don't know. It's funny, like, that happens a lot when stuff like this happens. It's all of a sudden, well, you, you just kind of go with that. But, yeah, that. I think we've been strong on like going. That's not really the narrative here. That's not that hasn't. There's no real precedent for that. Whatever Matt Miguez would like to tell you, that's not really the case. Correct. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Keep leaving your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll update it throughout today's show. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and Company coming up. We'll close out hour number one next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. How do you keep your franchise quarterback happy when you're not giving him the contract he deserves or wants? Well, you go out and sign Odell Beckham Jr. It's exactly what Baltimore did yesterday. Is Odell Beckham Jr. maybe one of the most overrated players in the last 10 years? Yes. Does he struggle to stay healthy in recent years? Yes. Is he sometimes a headache? Yes. All these things are true. Is he also immensely talented? Yes. Is he worth the contract that Baltimore is giving him? Yes, and I'll tell you why. Because it makes Lamar happy. They have screwed the pooch on the contract with their star franchise quarterback so much to the point where it doesn't look like it can be fixed. But yesterday... We see them FaceTiming each other, Lamar and Odell Beckham Jr. This is a smart move if you're Baltimore. Now, I would say you should have locked up Lamar Jackson when you had the chance a couple years ago when you opted not to. 
And I also believe that the rest of the NFL owners are trying not to have Deshaun Watson contracts anymore. You can call that collusion or however you want to call it, but I can guarantee you there's been conversations had. It's also a desperation move as well. You have no idea what Odell's got left in the tank. None. He didn't play last year. He proved to be a good pickup for the Rams during their Super Bowl run, but he didn't look great before then when he was in Cleveland. So what do you make of this? Well, he's further removed from his elite play and has more injuries in between than Michael Thomas does. Correct. So that would be kind of my basis for comparison. Um, okay. Like, I don't know. I, I I saw the news. I don't really think I raised an eyebrow at it. That's that's cool. But I don't know if this, you know, Lamar's happy right now or, or you know, whatever, FaceTimed. I don't know if this even makes him much more likely to sign. I mean, he, he's been without a legit top-tier number one wideout for his whole career. So Correct. This isn't that. Like this isn't like they went out and signed DeAndre Hopkins in his prime. I mean And they're desperate because who else is out there for them to go sign, right? Right. They've, they've it's not waited. as if the free agent wide receiver market is healthy. It just isn't. So you have to do something. Now, if they would have taken care of their business two or three years ago, they wouldn't be in this position. But they didn't. And Baltimore likes to do things a certain way, much like New England does, where they come hell or high water, they're going to do it their way. Well, now you get in a position where you're going to have to pay Odell Beckham Jr. $15 million in guaranteed money. $15 million. Yeah, it, that's the other thing, too. It's not guaranteed. like this was a super team-friendly, like, you know, Saints-type deal, some of the deals we've seen them make in this offseason. I mean, they gave him money. Like, they gave him legit money, and he's still got as many question marks as anybody. And they had to get the deal done because he was scheduled to meet the Jets today. So they got the deal done, which forced Baltimore's hand to be even a little bit more desperate. We'll see if it works out. I don't think it will. But we'll see what happens. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. John Rahm slips on the green jacket after winning his second major as he won the Masters yesterday. An interesting Masters this year for sure. Rom wins the green jacket. Well, it feels a lot like it did last year when Scotty Scheffler had won like four tournaments and won the Masters to start off the season, and then he would go on to have a great year. feels like Rom is kind of having that type of year, and I could see him possibly win another major tournament. His game is just so good. It's just so good. It's always been so good. He finally broke through and has won a couple of majors now. And you just think about it. So many of these guys, you know, there was such worry about what's golf going to do without Tiger. 
Well, we're working on two generations of guys that came up inspired by him. The game of golf is in great hands, by the way. I know Rory missed the cut, but you got Rory, you got JT, you got Spieth, you got John Rahm, you got Scotty Scheffler. You got so many great young golfers. You just do. And a new crop of guys like Colin Morikawa and, yes. and, and Will Zalatoris and others. So you, you not only – how do you how do you you know how does the game recover from Tiger Woods moving on? You can't replace him with one. Like there's not going to be another Tiger Woods. So the the PGA Tour had basically the next best option, which is have ten to twelve really talented guys correct come in and 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 fill that you know role. And now you have this rotating again. Like you, there's some and and sometimes I think we focus on this guy hasn't won this tournament and this tournament. Like one of the reasons the Masters and other majors are so great is because they only hand out one a year. You know what I mean? You can't have a year where five guys win the, the Masters because there was five really good players. No, only one. There's one going to be handed out. There's only going to be one U.S. Open trophy. There's only going to be one Claret Jug. Like that's, and that's the beauty of it. And so, as good and all those names you just mentioned, that means a lot of them aren't going to win majors at all. Like some of them might not ever win a major as good as they are. Um, and that would be some of the guys further down that list. Not obviously not the kind of household names you mentioned who have already won them. But well, look what you also have: Victor Hovland. If Xander Shoffley, who made a run and then faded, yeah. Cameron Smith, Patrick Cantlay has always been good. Uh, How about Cantlay's pace of play yesterday, though? Oh, that was miserable. Oh, it was brutal. And the young amateur wasn't great either. Bennett, Bennett was slow, but Cantlay and I mean, you know, Kepka and Rom were clearly not excited about it. And I think Kepka made some comments afterwards, like, and, and you know, I saw some people complaining that he made the comment. He was asked the question. He answered the question, but. Yeah, I can't let like I that's something and it, and it's it's you know there are rules in place but they're hesitant to enforce them. They're not the MLB with the pitch clock. They're not just calling, you know, it's not just an extra stroke. Uh how interesting would that be if we had like guys out there pointing and just all right, that's that's your second shot. You didn't hit it in time. Now you're hitting your third. Um but I do think something's got to be done in some of those situations because it was it was it was impacting the leaders who were fighting for the green jacket. Just by Cantley, I mean and you saw a couple of times Victor Hovland just went ahead and hit his next shot when Cantley still like moseying up the fairway. So I got distracted with that thought, but um, yeah, no, a lot, lot of young, talented guys. I was like, "Oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Come on, get it together." Sam Burns, the former LSU star, he had a third round to forget. It's a rough weekend for him. I still think he breaks through in the next couple of years and could be a major champion. I think he has the. I think he has the tools. Yeah, I would agree. It feels like maybe like a PGA championship kind of thing for him, maybe. But I tell you who I, I loved seeing, and the weekend didn't end up the way that he wanted it. I've always been a big Tony Finau fan. He ended up at even par, 74, 73, 72. Always been a big fan of Tony, just like his game and just like him. He just seems really likable. It hurt my heart to see what happened to Jason Day. Because I was so hoping that, not that he was going to win Dawson, but for him to come back from what, like neck or back fusion, right? He's had some terrible procedures that have had to, his his body has broke down on him at such a young age. And when you saw him early on, he shot a 67 in the first round. You're like, oh, wow, Jason's going to, I got excited. And then for him to shoot 74, 77, and then 74, I was just like, ended up plus five. Adam Scott was right there, so was Max Homa, but I don't know. It, it was nice seeing Day. He's always going to be the great what if for me. Yeah, 
Yeah, Homa, another guy, by the way, that we didn't mention, but but could be certainly mentioned with that that crop of young superstars in the game. So the world of golf is in a good place, and I don't know the the other thing that stands out. Yes, Tiger had to withdraw because of his health. That's what you're going to see moving forward. And and Dawson's right. You're going to see flashes. There'll be tournaments and majors where he makes a shot and you go, oh, wow. There's the Tiger. But his body's not going to – I mean, he looked like an 82-year-old old man out there. Like, I, it, when you watched him and you saw him walk, you're like, oh, my – my wife went, oh, my Lord. That was her reaction. And I was like, yeah. He's, and he's too prideful to use a cart. He's not going to insult the majors by using a cart. He, 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 would view, he, would, he would rather not play in it than do that. So I think you're going to see moments. I don't think we're going to see 2019 again, and that's okay. He gave us everything that he possibly could. Yeah, I think also the other thing to just kind of give the other side, I think yesterday was the worst-case scenario, or Saturday was the worst-case scenario conditions-wise for him. Um, and so I don't think it's ever going to be that. I don't know if he, you know, he might withdraw from a tournament again, but I do think like the, the, the situation where it became 40 degrees and really cold and windy and rainy at Augusta, you're not going to see often. Correct. So that played into it as well, and I think that messed with the footing, and I think that maybe contributed to re-aggravating the plantar fasciitis that he cited with his withdrawal. But um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting to see, and and does he play a little bit better at some of the um, you know, I think the Open Championship courses maybe lend the best because you know typically not very hilly kind of links style golf. Correct. Um, is maybe where, but we thought he would maybe you know kind of pull that out for St Andrews, and he didn't play very well. But also, I think. He was a little bit, you know, less far along in his injury recovery, and you, you imagine, it's funny too. On one hand, is he going to get only get better because he gets further removed from this crash and deals with the physical therapy and stuff, or is it only going to get worse because he's at the point where he's aging to where you're not going to get that much better, right? It's it's one or the I don't know. I think maybe it's a combination of both. Maybe some things feel better as time goes on, and some things start to, you know, bother him more. But um, it was uh, it was definitely the specific like. 10 second frame of him kind of hobbling through the the rain at that point was uh was definitely a tough image to see. Rory JT missed the cut, but you still had so many quality guys. Speeth makes a run, which was nice. I keep waiting on him too. I keep waiting on Jordan to put four rounds together. Because that's what he did when he went through that run where he took over the world of golf. We haven't seen him put together four rounds. And that's what's really missing for Jordan, if I'm being honest. His game is there. Great short game, right? He's not the biggest power. He's not a bomber. I wonder if we're getting closer and closer to seeing Spieth. Obviously, finished tied for fourth with Patrick Weed and, and Russell Henley. And you look at him, 69-70, 76-66. The 76 on round three was brutal. But that's what we've kind of seen from Jordan. We get three really, really good rounds and then one subpar round. And that's what's kind of prevented him from winning another major. I feel like he's close, though. Like, I feel it's... I feel like Jordan's close. Like, we could see him win a major championship this year. Yeah, I would say above par rounds. You said subpar as the bad terminology, yes, but not yes, since we're dealing yes. with golf. Just Thank wanted you. to throw Thank that you. out there. Thank you. No, yeah, but but Spieth, uh, and, and again, Saturday's round, 
Certainly the weather impacted him, but everyone, you know, dealt with the weather in one way or another. It just, he, he didn't There was lots of, se- well. I mean, John Rahm shot a 73. Right, yeah. Round. I mean, it, it was brutal. Like, obviously, and there was there were stretches there where, you know, and I think the guys started to kind of know, you had to hammer putts to even get them close because of how much water was on the greens. And then, you know, that's something I thought, we, you know, my dad and I kept commenting yesterday, They str- as the greens were drying out through, throughout the course of the day, Saw a lot of missed putts on guys just, you know, A, not getting it there or just kind of misreading it. And so, you know, that all kind of played into it. Augusta's difficult enough as it is. You Then you start to kind of have the weather impact that. That was really interesting. But, um, you know, all things considered, too, it looked, it looked for a long time like we weren't going to get this tournament in yesterday. So credit to the, uh, you know, of course, Augusta has probably the best grounds crew in the world. I mean, there's not a, not a weed on the golf course. But um, they got that thing in, in good shape to play Sunday morning, and I didn't think the course – you know, I think at, at some courses you might have had a storyline coming in where Sunday you said, man, this course really isn't in good shape. These guys are just trying to deal with it after all the water they got. Uh, we didn't hear any of that. Augusta played like Augusta on Sunday and uh, gave us great theater at the end. And your defending champ, Scotty Shuffler, finished tied for 10th, which uh, I think is very respectable. Especially when you don't have your putter. Yeah, at all. That, that at was all. the thing. I mean, he, he struck the ball pretty well, and he was there in the beginning. Um, I think, again, like, that's the other thing. Like, And some people, and I saw some chatter like, man, what's wrong with Scheffler and this and that? I think, like, it's going to be a while before we get away from the measuring stick being how dominant Tiger Woods was. You but want just, every guy to win the every major. Right, like, the, and, like, and, and if they get the to world we live in. the number one player in the world, you're like, well, that guy should win it, and that's because that's how it was for a decade. But I just, again, I don't think it's ever going to be like that again. There's too many good players, and the guys at the top are really good. They're great. They're the best in the world. Nobody is anywhere near as dominant and as far away from the pack as Tiger was during his run. And um, so Scotty, yeah, he battles through. He doesn't have a good weekend at all, and he still finishes top okay. ten. I do think that shows you how good he is. I do like Rom's game, though, to win another major this year. And that would be, you know, maybe he could have a bit of like what Kepka did there for a couple of years or what Jordan did for a couple of years. I think that's the I think that's the ceiling, right? Where we see a guy maybe win a couple of majors, two or three majors in, a, in two to three years span, two and a half year span. I think that's what you're kind of looking for. That should probably be the standard. But once again... Nicholas did it, right? And then we've seen Tiger do it. But it's just so hard, man. It's just these guys are the best at their profession, and Scotty Shuffler is the defending champ in the world. He was the world number one ranked golfer in the world. And 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 he had to grind out to finish top ten. That's how hard it is. That's how hard it is. Masters poll question is our poll question of the day. And we asked you, what was the most surprising part about Sunday at the Masters? Was it John Moran surging for the win? Was it Kepka choking it away? Was it Phil's late charge in the top five? Or was it Tiger's withdrawal due to injury? Right now, 81% of you say Phil's late charge to the top five. 14% say Kepka choking it away. 5% say Tiger's withdrawal due to injury. No votes for John Rahm. Surging. Surging. Ralph on the Twitter says, Another huge surprise was Rory missing the cut and Couples becoming the oldest player to make the cut. As for Tiger Woods, it would not surprise me to see a retirement announcement coming soon. Sad. I don't know if, you know, 
I've gone back and forth on Tiger. He's such a competitor. We know this. It's part of his DNA. But he also has a reverence and a love for the game. And if he feels like, if he gets to the point where Tiger feels like he's hurting the game of golf, he will step away. I've, I've always thought that. I always felt like he respects the history of the game. He respects the majors. He respects everything about it. That he has no desire whatsoever, Dawson, to be a sideshow. Like he just doesn't. No, yeah, I, I agree with that. But also, that's that's like the interesting thing about the way golf is, and it's somewhat the same way in tennis. Although I think tennis being more physically demanding uh, kind of lends itself to a guy like Roger Federer. You know, even though he probably could, you know, get up and play a couple of times a year. Um, he doesn't think he can go through the physical grind of it, so he hangs it up. Like Tiger only has to get up and grind for four tournaments a year, so I think he'll continue to do that. Now, again, a lot goes into playing those four tournaments, and you have to play all the time, and he does play you know, a good bit of golf, right? He, he came and played Augusta a few times early in the week, but um, it, it does become a situation. I think if he doesn't think he can be competitive and win, I don't think he plays. Correct. I don't think he's just going to do this whole play He's just out. not going to hold on. He's not going to keep showing up. No, um, but I think right now he still thinks there's a chance. I think he does think that, and I don't think I think he I think he goes through. I don't know if he plays at the PGA next month. I think it's going to probably depend on how he's feeling. Um, but I think he'll be at the U.S. Open. I think he'll be at the Open Championship, and uh, then I think he reevaluates heading into next year. That's what I would expect. I would agree with that. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Let's not get sideways, shall we? Let's not get crazy with it. When we come back, we'll head to the Diamond. LSU, UL, McNeese. We'll get to it all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, We talked about how the weather wrecked havoc on the Masters tournament. Well, it also did for, well, let's be honest, majority of the Southeast, including college baseball series that we had over the weekend. And let's start off with LSU. Their final game, the third game of their series at number six ranked South Carolina was canceled. They're like, it's done. We're not going to be able to get it in. So they only played two games. And they split the series. They win the second game 8-7 to seven and just rallied in that one. But they lose the first one 13-5. And look, they are clearly one of the best teams in the country. And they've won every SEC series except for this last one, which they split because the last game got taken away from them. But Dawson... Something is kind of starts, it keeps repeating itself here. And I know the competition is immensely tough early on in the conference slate. 
They take two or three against A&M, but they give up seven runs and one win and then lose one of those games by giving up eight runs. Arkansas, they give up nine runs in the loss in that game. They still win the series two games to one. Tennessee, they win two games to one, but in the last game they lost, they gave up 14 runs. And then South Carolina, they give up 13 runs, and then they give up seven in the win. This is a dominant team. The lineup is majestic. But when you get to a regional format and you get to the College World Series, you can't be having games where you're giving up 13, 14 runs. You just can't. And, and that's my big concern about the Tigers. It's not the lineup. They're going to be able to out-hit anybody. But what happens when you have one of those games where you can't hit? Because it happens. And I wonder, do they have enough pitching? Yeah, it's, you know, I, it's tough to say because right now, like the only way that I really measure these conference series and SEC plays winning the series and they haven't lost one yet now South Carolina series they were very close to losing it but then they rally and win that game and with all the momentum from the win in game two you'd probably felt pretty good about their chances in game three uh if it happened it didn't so you still have won every conference series but they have I will say they've certainly taken a step back from being you know, there was a stretch there where you thought this team might be historically dominant, like Oregon State a few years back type dominant, losing four or five games the whole season. Like, there was a stretch where that looked possible. That's not the case anymore. Now, will a team ever do that in the SEC? Probably not because of how good the conference is. Um, But, yeah, there's concerns. Like, look, and, and Ty Floyd and Thatcher Hurd and those guys were really great uh, when they played really subpar competition, and so was Paul Skeens. Skeens has translated it well to SEC play, and uh, he, I would was, the, agree with he that. was the most dominant of the three the whole time anyway, so that's not really a surprise. But um, that the good thing for them is it still feels like their pitching is good enough to dominate lesser opponents. So when you get into a regional, um, you're going to play you know, probably one, one of your four teams in that regional is not going to be nearly as talented. Then the second and third tier teams are going to be a cut below you, so... Those situations, I, I still think they're going to – I just think it's going to be a monumental task for someone to beat LSU in a regional. Uh, but when you get to the Supers and you're facing a team that's getting – you know, that's going to be on par with what you've faced in SEC play to this point, right? You, there's a good chance you see one of those teams or someone like them Correct. in the Supers. You could lose two out of three if you pitch the way you've pitched in conference play. Yeah, that could happen. You I could, think they have enough pitching to get to the Supers. I think they'll be tested. My, the ultimate goal at LSU is to win national titles, right? Right. And there's a lot of buzz about this team. They're, they have Omaha written all over them, so please don't misunderstand. But the lack of pitching on the back end, for uh, you know, because you're going to need as many arms as possible, that's the thing that worries me a little bit. It's still plenty of time, right? We're only talking this is early April. Yeah, no, and again, yeah, don't, don't misunderstand ex- tempering expectations as far as, like, this is – a team that's going to win a title or not. Like, that's correct. So, yeah, we have to, you know, when, when a team's this good, you have to nitpick, right? The other thing that would give me a little pause is that as great as the offense is, and I look, I do think this offense has a chance to be like historically good, but they have shown that they can get, they can get shut down on a Friday night. If the right guy's on the other side, right? That's, when they face a, another the the other ace, yeah. yeah, they've 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 struggled at times with that. Now second tier and third tier pitching, they have destroyed like at historic paces, double digit runs consistently. Midweek games, it's never a contest, um, but they have shown a little bit. Like so, that's the the scary thing is that they've shown that they can lose a game that Paul Skeen starts, which 
you didn't necessarily think that was going to be the case. Um, and and even if he's, they can lose a game that he's really good in, and so that's right. surprising. Um, but with all that being said, again, they're still, I think, the number one team. I don't expect the rankings to change. Um, South Carolina is certainly better than we thought coming into the season. They've kind of proven what what we thought uh, after we saw their their hot start. And they'll play Kentucky this weekend at the box, and Kentucky yeah, no just breaks. dropped two of three to Georgia. Yeah, they did, but there's still there's, there's still, still no breaks, part. right? Yeah, right. Now, while LSU saw its series at South Carolina get impacted by rain, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns were able to get all three of their games in at Marshall up in West Virginia, and they were able to take all three games, got themselves a sweep in conference play, beating Marshall 8-4, to then 5-2, and then 8-2. to This week, Mad Degas' team will be hosting Louisiana Tech on Tuesday night, Southeastern on Wednesday, and then a three-game set. Sorry, Southeastern game is on the road at Hammond before coming back home for a three-game set against Troy this coming weekend. Mac Deggs' team is now 23-9 overall, 9-3 in conference play. I don't care how mediocre Marshall may be. You go on the road, you get a series sweep, that's a win. That, that, that That's a huge deal. It was big time. It was big time. They needed it. They got it. Um, yeah, that Marshall team... Look, they're not they're not the bottom of the conference. They're not the top of the conference, but they're they're right there. And, and the Sun Belt is so much better than it was. So you have to keep that in mind. Those it's are true. It's not the the days of you know beating up on lesser opponents. And maybe the Cages in South Alabama are the only two formidable opponents. That's not the case anymore. So uh, handled their business. Went on the road. Played in the minor league park, I believe, um, and just really played well in all facets. They pitched well. They scored runs when they had to. They hit the long ball. Um, the lineup seems to be shaping up more and more. It's getting closer and closer to, I think, what Coach Deggs wants it to be. Um, you still are going to get Kyle DeBarge back pretty soon. And, like, all that combined, I mean, it's just they're, they're trending in the right direction. I agree. They're trending in the right direction. And, finally, McNeese, they needed a big series win, and they got one. They split the doubleheader with Texas A&M Corpus Christi on Friday, winning the first game 8-3, losing the second game 5-3, but bounced back on Saturday as they were able to squeeze in and get their series done, winning a hard-fought 4-3 game there at Joe Miller Ballpark. That gets them back on track now. They're 20-11, first 20-win team in Southland Conference play. 4-5 and five in conference play, which is even more important for them after the disappointing losing two of three at Houston Christian this week for Justin Hill's team. Tuesday midweek game at home versus Louisiana Christian, formerly known as Louisiana College. Then on the road Wednesday at Rice before going on the road and facing off against the team that beat them in the Southland Conference Tournament Championship round a year ago, the Southeastern Louisiana Lions. So that's a big marquee matchup for McNeese. So Tigers split with South Carolina. Third game gets washed out. UL gets a sweep at Marshall, and McNeese takes two or three against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. So good weekend on the diamond for our area baseball teams. We'll talk more about LSU baseball when Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio joins us live next, right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
Uh, don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. What was the biggest surprise Sunday at the Masters? Was it John Rahm charging, surging for the win? Was it Brooks Kepka letting the 36-hole lead get away from him? Was it Phil's late charge into the top five, or was it Tiger withdrawing due to an injury? Right now, 82% of you say Phil's late charge into the top five. 14% say Kepka choking it away. 4% say Tiger's withdrawal due to injury, and no votes for John Rahm surging for the win. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well on Facebook or Twitter. Ooh. Salty Sevis chimed in on our LSU conversation. There's a reason why, there's a reason Friday pitchers are called ACES, that's aces, by the way. On their best day, they can shut down anyone. No team or player is perfect. LSU wouldn't take a backseat to anyone. The coach is the only questionable piece of the team. I like Jay Johnson. I just, look, you got the Friday ace. But you can't pitch him every day. You can't pitch him every day. So he's a Friday ace for a reason. That's right. Do they have two more of those guys? They don't. That's my only thing. That's my only concern whatsoever. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Jeff Palermo, our friend from Tiger Rag Radio and the Louisiana Radio Network. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How was your Easter weekend? Oh, it was very good, Raymond. How about yours? It was good, man. It was good. So I got to watch a lot of golf. So I'm I'm not I'm not mad at myself uh, for that. Let's talk about this LSU baseball team. They had the third game be canceled due to weather. Couldn't get it in. So they split the series with a top ten ranked South Carolina team. I, I posed the question earlier on today's show. They have a great Friday night starter. They have probably the best lineup in college baseball. But do they have enough pitching to make a run to Omaha and win the whole thing? And I'd, I still don't know if we have that answer. Yeah, that's that's the big question. That's the big question. I mean, not a good start from uh, Ty Floyd on Friday. Um, and and either you're not exactly sure what you're getting out of uh, the third starter at this point. That's why not having that game, you know, whether they would have won or lost it on uh, Saturday, um not knowing, you know, about Christian Little or whoever that third starter is. And then you see Garrett Edwards go down with an injury uh, during Friday's game. Now Jay Johnson said it doesn't appear as, as serious as it looks. You don't know what you have with Chase Shores. Uh, he was not available this weekend. So I tell you what, um, you, the, the old phrase in baseball, you can never have enough pitching and that's the case because going into the season, you thought he had all these guys uh, led by Paul Skeens, and right now there's 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 a lot of question marks uh, because you you didn't have a very good uh, performance from Thatcher Hurd in his last SEC start, and you know Ty Floyd has certainly been up and down, and you yet you really don't know who you're um, who you can count on as your third starter, but. Uh, you know, LSU's won national championships before without having three really good starters. Um, my hope is is that for uh, Garrett Edwards, though, this was your main guy out of the bullpen, and you would hope that um, 
Jay Johnson's correct on his assessment, or at least what the doctors are telling him at the moment, that that injury is not as, as serious as it appears. But on the flip side, this gives other guys a chance to um, show what they got. And, uh, you know, Gavin Gidry came up big in that Friday win, that come-from-behind victory. I mean, that was that was huge for him to go out there and, and pitch the way that he did. So uh, let's see. Uh, maybe Maybe that might be – that might be uh, exactly what the the Tigers needed. I mean, he comes in there, he gives you an inning and two thirds, and gives up just one hit, no runs, and strikes out three. So, uh, with all these guys going down, other guys have the opportunity to step up. And the other thing for ba- uh, for the LSU baseball team is that the schedule softens a little bit here because you know you had ranked opponent after ranked opponent after ranked opponent after ranked opponent to begin SEC play. The Mississippi schools are down this year. Alabama is like, eh. So they get a bit of a break towards the back end of their SEC schedule, don't they, Jeff? Yeah, but they got another tough series coming up this weekend against Kentucky. I mean, the Wildcats have been uh, outstanding so far this season. Another team that's been a, a bit of surprise. A bit of a surprise in the um, in the Southeastern Conference. I mean, they're 27 and five this year, just kind of like South Carolina. And we were wondering whether, yeah, you know, South Carolina's strength of schedule, uh, I think it was up in the 50s or something like that, heading into the series against LSU. So you you weren't exactly sure what you were going to get out of them. And and let's face it, based on what you saw Thursday night and for most most of the game on Friday, they seem like they're for real. And this Kentucky squad has been has been outstanding. So uh, it, it it's um, it, it looms to be a, another big tough test for LSU this weekend. And then, yeah, I know what you're saying about Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Um, you know, Auburn is still left on the schedule. Auburn has been a team that uh, you know some of these you know Alabama and Auburn and, and State and Ole Miss they still have to play. Uh, but there's still time for you know one of those teams or maybe two of those teams to improve themselves and uh, become a, a, a much, uh, I guess, a, a more difficult foe here in the, in the, in the future games. That's true. Alabama-Auburn are 4-8 in conference play. Mississippi State's 3-9 and nine and Ole Miss is 2-10. We're talking with Jeff Palermo. He joins us here courtesy of Tiger Rag Radio and, of course, the Louisiana Radio Network. About the lineup, it is magnificent. They are spectacular. But they do have these lulls from time to time where, especially when they face another team's ace, that they struggle somewhat. Now, they tee off on the number two, number three pitching like it's nobody's business, but sometimes that number one ace sometimes gives them a little bit of concern. What, if anything, about this great lineup do you see is something that needs to be worked upon? Well, I, I mean, again, the old the, the old phrase, uh, good pitching, um, more times than not, is going to handle good hitting, and, and that's what you're going to see. I, I I am not surprised to see Friday night starters go out there and hold this team in check for a few innings. Uh, that that's that's not a surprise at all. I mean, that's that's kind of the way that's the way it goes. I, I mean, <laughs> you, but I, I still think this lineup is, to me, it's it's the best in college baseball. I mean, I just think they're, especially the the, the top five guys in that lineup. It's just there's there's no breather there. And then you you have a guy like Jordan Thompson 
you know, kind of batting seventh in that lineup, and, and he's he's a terrific hitter. Um, you know, you're you're getting exactly what you would hope for. Uh, you know, as you drew it up this year, um, you know, uh, I mean, Dylan Cruz is hitting over 500. Uh, he'll he'll finish the season hitting well over 400. Gavin Dugas just continues giving you clutch hit after clutch hit. Tommy White, he's an RBI machine. Uh, Jared Jones gives you power as a freshman, um, you know, hitting home runs. So, and then as I mentioned, uh, you got Jordan Thompson. So, yeah, there. I mean, this team. You, you can't expect them to go out there and score six, seven, eight, nine, ten runs every game. Uh, and, and on Friday nights, they might be limited a little bit. But that's why you got a guy like Paul Skeens. And uh, you know, Skeens didn't. It, we only saw him for three innings on Thursday. He gave up three runs, but I think more times than not, that guy's going to go out there and give you a really good chance to win. Where he he's holding opponents to three runs or less over, you know, a seven-inning, eight-inning performance. Jeff, we'll get you out of here with this. LSU women, of course, win the national championship. They've had a parade, and they've kind of shut down Baton Rouge. But I also fully anticipate, you know, them continuing to build off of what happens. So many top players are in the transfer portal. I would expect LSU to be in the mix for those top players, including a certain guard from Louisville who Kim Mulkey recruited out of high school when she wanted her to come to Baylor. Uh, we'll see if that actually happens. But look, uh, uh, women's basketball, they, they even did a skit on SNL on Weekend Update <laughs> w- involving Angel Reese this past weekend. So uh, what, what do we – I mean, what's it like right now over in the capital city? Yeah, I think the excitement level is really high. I mean, a, a great parade on Monday on campus, a large turnout inside the Maravich Center. So many people are talking about women's basketball. Uh, I am interested to see how long it's going to take here before Haley Van Liff announces a commitment to LSU. It just seems like that's possible, uh, very possible at the moment. I mean, anybody watching this team to see how they performed, how they came together at the end of the year, if you're a player on another team and you want to win a national championship, LSU seems to be the place to go. You get to play with Angel Reese. Uh, You got some talented freshmen coming in, the number one recruiting class in the country. I mean, at this moment, LSU is the go-to destination place in women's basketball, and it makes – in a way, Kim Mulkey, I don't know if it makes it any easier or not, but it, she doesn't She doesn't have to go turning over every stone to go find players. They're, they're, they will be coming to her, and she's just, her and her staff just going to have to evaluate and figure out what's the best fit for their program. But, um, yeah, there, there's just a, a still a, a bit of a buzz. It'll be a little bit more of a quieter week. Last week was wild, I mean, with – how that story just kind of, you know, they win the national championship on Sunday, and then you got the whole Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark controversy Sunday, and then, uh, you know, the Angel Reese and, and the White House and Jill Biden. And, I mean, this, this story wouldn't go away, which was, which was a good thing. And then you get the Saturday Night Live skit, which is really a uh, – I think anybody that gets uh, – you know, if there's a parody of you on Saturday Night Live, that's, that's more of an honor than a uh, – than anything else. So um, I, I would say life is good uh, for the LSU women's basketball team, and they're going to have 
um, plenty of choices as far as players in that transfer portal that they can add to this team to, to get them right back on top again next season. Jeff, appreciate your time as always. Brother, have a great Tiger Rag Radio this week, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right, thanks, Raymond. Appreciate it. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. As we await to see what players Kim Mulkey goes and, you know, snags out of the transfer portal, we're all in agreement it feels like the Louisville trash-talking superstar is headed to Baton Rouge, right? It kind of feels that way. It kind of feels like she would fit in perfectly, especially when it came down that she chose Louisville over Baylor. Those were her two final two schools out of high school. So Mulkey already has a relationship with her from recruiting her back in the day. But it does feel like a team that talks some trash, as LSU does, would add a trash talker to the mix. Right, Dawson? I mean, that seems like it makes a lot of sense. It seems like it's a good fit. add up, yes. Yeah, there we go. While the LSU women are doing that, the men are having having their players transfer out. We knew that was going to happen because – of the season they had. Justice Hill has committed to Lowell of Marymount. He's headed to LMU. We found out over the weekend as well that another player, Cornelius Williams, has transferred to Western Carolina. I'm sure they'll have great opportunities at both of those places. Loyola Marymount. Just wanted to clear that pronunciation. Thank it's you. Okay, it's Monday. It's early. You know. Thank I've you. Been, Thank I you. Two degrees. Myself. Thank it. you. I appreciate that. Um, people commented on your uh, subpar comment as well earlier. I just haven't shared that with you. <laughs> uh, look, I'm 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 playing a little hurt today, so you you know, take it easy on your boy. Big time step up from you. Exactly. These guys are not transferring for opportunities at better programs than LSU. Correct? We can all say that. I think this is a reflection, and I'm not saying this. Once again, please don't misunderstand. Matt McMahon was put in a tough spot where he didn't have anybody on the roster. Okay? And they only got, what, one player to come back, and that was Adam Miller? And he ended up, you know, shooting the third most three-pointers in the NCAA and only made, you know, 28% of them. So... He's gone now. He's in the transfer portal as well. But these are the type of guys that he had on the roster. 
and that their best opportunities are LMU and Western Carolina. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I know we're disappointed. A lot of folks are disappointed on how the season went. But I kept telling you, they barely had a mid-major roster, and they barely had that. Yeah, he also he, he did get a commitment over the weekend. Jalen Cook from Tulane, volume scorer, guy I saw play a lot. Former LSU guy that turns into a Tulane guy for two years and now is coming back to LSU. Mm-hmm. And that, that he Cook feels like a, a better fit. Yes. As far as an offensive player who can get his own shot but isn't, you know, not well. And we'll see how he looks in LSU's offense. But wasn't a guy who had to force it in Tulane. You know, he scored 20 points a game, and it never felt like, um, you know, Adam Miller just felt like he just put too much on his plate. Oh. And maybe maybe Coach McMahon put too much on his plate at times. Um, but with Cook, I think it's a little bit more of a natural fit at, at that spot. I think that's a, yeah, a good addition for Matt McMahon and the other guys. Look, you got to get the roster better. Best of luck to these kids for going on to other opportunities, but you got to get better, and this is how you do it. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, Christian Clark will help us kick things off. Pell's reporter for The Advocate, that's next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. which means the final hour of today's RP3 and company has arrived. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. What was the most surprising thing from yesterday's Sunday at the Masters? We'll take your phone calls later as well. But right now, it's time for us to head out to the hotline. Welcome on our third and final guest of today's show. He covers the New Orleans Pelicans for theadvocateanola.com. Our good friend Christian Clark joins us now. Christian, good morning to you, brother. Hope you had a tremendous Easter. How are you, my friend? Hey, man, I'm I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It was uh, that was quite a game. <laughs> well, that's one way of describing it. Um, <laughs> let's let, let's go to last night's or yesterday's game because Bi goes off for 40, 42. You have an ample opportunity to affect your positioning in the play-in tournament. And no Nas Reed due to injury. Cat is in foul trouble for Minnesota. Rudy Gobert punches a teammate and is out of the game. And yet the Pelicans found a way to lose that game. Explain it to me. Well, you left out the part where the Timberwolves' best defender, Jaden McDaniels, punched a wall and fractured his hand, and his season's probably over, and he didn't play in the second half either. So the Timberwolves were down two starters at the start of the second half. The Pelicans did not win this game. Uh, I I will say I think Carl Anthony Towns playing the five with no Gobert in there benefited them a little bit just because I think the Pelicans, they don't match up against, like, stretchy fives. But also, the Pelicans just blew it. I mean, that one is that one is up there with just worst, most depressing losses I've seen in, in the four years I've covered this team. I mean, the other team is imploding. Like, they 
they're imploding right there. Just just take it. Just go reach out and take it. <laughs> Explain to me why with Cat being in foul trouble that you don't put Valachunas on the field to try to get easy buckets and try to get rebounds in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like legitimate criticism. I mean, they like I think all year Willie Green has just not showed a whole lot of trust in in Jonas Valanciunas. You know, I I think that that Valanciunas' limitations on defense really matters to Willie, and it's not oftentimes not outweighed by what he can give you on the offensive end and in the rebounding department. Um, but it is it is kind of crazy that uh, you know JV didn't get in there in the fourth at all, and you know they went with Larry Nance Jr. who couldn't get a rebound, couldn't really move. Willie Green said after the game, maybe he was still injured. And then they went with uh, Herb Jones to at the five a little bit. You've covered this team now for quite a long time. You spent a lot of hours with this team watching practices, going on the road, watching games, the whole nine yards. This team is yet again in the play-in tournament, and, and we look at the success that Griff has had since he's taken over. And we're looking at, what, 13th, 11th, 9-9 and in the Western Conference. And if it wasn't for the play-in tournament, they wouldn't even be in the postseason any of those years. What, what, what do we make of now as we enter the fourth postseason under David Griffin? What, what do we make of how this team is constructed? Um, I mean, I guess it all depends on how you feel about the best two players playing in games because I think when those guys are on the court, they're pretty good. I mean, January 1st, they're a one game out of first place in the Western Conference. Um, I think cruising towards, towards home court advantage in the first round, Zion obviously gets hurt with the hamstring the next day on January 2nd, doesn't play again, and they kind of tumble down the standings. Um, I mean, this is like, I think this is a good roster. Uh, I think like a lot of good things have happened in, in the past two years, like from – from Willie Green to nailing the 2021 draft and getting Trey Herb and Jose, um, you know, a number of good things have happened. It's just they just can't keep their best two players on the court. I see a lot in games where Kyra Lewis or Jose Alvarado before Jose got hurt coming off the bench and giving them a spark. But yet, I don't see them a ton is that because Willie just doesn't want to play the younger guys, or is it because they haven't earned his trust? Or what do you make of the fact that both of those guys give the team a spark, but yet they don't seem to play as much as we as it feels like they probably should? You're saying Kyra and who? And and Jose before he got hurt. Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, like Willie. Willie definitely loves like Jose is one of his guys. So I think if you know Jose wasn't hurt, that he would. He would have played a ton of minutes in that game last night, but Kyra is kind of an interesting one. I mean, I've, you know, I've heard from some people who felt like Kyra is maybe a better option, you know, down the the stretch run than than Dyson Daniels. They felt like he was a little more ready. Um, okay. You know, I, I think Dyson Daniels did a lot of good things, especially defensively early in the year. I think he had some nice moments, and this was a very good defensive team. But I mean, he just he just can't score on the offensive end. Like he doesn't even look at the basket, and I think. Carlos Jr. would, at minimum, do that. Like he would, he would drive to the rim and like try to score. Um, so I mean, I wouldn't have minded to to see him a little bit last night with with only you know eight guys going into that game. 
We're talking with Christian Clark of The Advocate and NOLA.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company as we talk all things spells. Why is the Zion status reports in his health, why is it so weird? Like, Christian, like I just – it feels like the Pelicans and Zion aren't on the same page. We went through this last year, and Griff even admitted that they should have been more transparent. They should have got Zion out there more, uh, more to the forefront of things about the whole process. And here we are a year later, and they're going through the same thing again. And we get these 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 people that say, well, Zion feels like he can really play and he wants to come back, but then the Pelicans are like, well, no, we'll reevaluate him again. It's a bizarre thing from the outside looking in. What is it like for someone who covers the team? Uh, it's, it's also bizarre for me, too. Uh, I think what one of the things that's interesting is the Pelicans, they've tried to get Zion to talk. You know, recently they tried at shoot around on Friday to make him available. They tried again Saturday when they had that practice in Minnesota. Uh, Zion is just declining to talk right now. So, I mean, he's he's in the building. I mean, I think that's one of the differences. Like he just dipped out on everybody and went to Portland last year, so he's in the building now this year. Uh, but he's just he's not talking for I don't know why. Um, I mean, look the. The update didn't say a whole lot. I will say that the two words that stuck out to me in it were conditioning regimen. Uh, I would that would suggest to me that the Pelicans don't feel like he's anywhere close to game shape. Um, so maybe part of this is getting in better shape. And then I guess the counter argument to that is well, how do you expect Zion to get in shape without playing five on five? And I don't know. It's just it's just been such a weird, frustrating deal, um, especially when you know the Pelicans made a huge investment in their medical staff in 2019 and got someone in Aaron Nelson who was regarded as, like, this guy is one of the best athletic, you know, like, sports science people in the NBA. And it hasn't worked, unfortunately. Oh, um, I just, you know, we're four years and we're still doing the same stuff, right? Right, we're still, Zahn still deals with injuries, and that's not his fault, right? If his body breaks down, his body breaks down, right? So that's not really his fault. I mean, fault. I don't know. It, it, I mean, well, he showed up to his first summer league game at 300 pounds. I mean, like, I think him, I think, you know, part of it is, I'm not like saying that to be mean. I just think, I think part of it definitely is that he has not taken dieting conditioning seriously for most of his time as a pro. So I think part of it is his fault. And you think, and, and you think because of that is reason why maybe he's a little slow to recover from these injuries? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Definitely. I mean, that was the, like the whole, you know, a large part of the reason why this, you know, during his rookie year, they said, well, it's hard meniscus to take six to eight weeks to recover from and get back to the court. It took him 13 weeks. He was way too heavy. It was the reason why during his first summer league, they basically just pulled him out because he was too heavy. Uh, it was, you know, like I think when he dealt with the foot saga, you know, part of the reason why there was not bone healing is he was really, really heavy. I mean, you're putting pressure on your foot, you know, like, you know, like you, you can't get back on the floor as soon as you want to when you're well above 300 and, you know, you, you got to like run and jump on a, a foot that, you know, is trying to heal. So, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely been a factor. Let's move forward here because they are in the play-in tournament and a lot of people are excited because they're like, hey, it's all 0-0 now. They have an opportunity. Look what they did last year. But I would... My counter argument would be, Christian, 
Last year, they played a Spurs team that was 14 games under 500. They're not facing a team 14 games under 500 now. True, they are 3-1 and one against the Oklahoma City Thunder, who they'll host Wednesday night at 8.30 for the play-in tournament. But even though they're in the same spot as they were a year ago, it feels differently, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, that Spurs team was just not very good. It was DeJounte Murray and then like the, a lot of the cast you see now on the San Antonio team, which is in, in the uh, Wembenyama sweepstakes. Um, and then, you know, the Clippers, too, like they got really lucky. I mean, they got to play the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Paul George got COVID, you know, basically the day before the game. That was uh, an enormous break for the Pelicans. Um, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be much more difficult. Like, Shea just alexander is – like, I mean, if you just go off this season, he's the best player in the game. I mean, he might make first team all in the NBA this year. Like, he had a really special season. Um, and then I, I think the Lakers are probably going to win that, that 7 8 with Minnesota. Um, you know, they could beat Minnesota. It's not going to be easy. And if somehow you end up having to go to LA and play in the Lakers, I think that's just going to be a really tough game. I mean, the Lakers are a really tough matchup. They're going to be extremely motivated, that'll be a tough environment. Um, so if they win, I think you definitely don't want to have to go to L.A. We'll get you out of here with this, brother. I know it's early in the week, but what do you think is going to happen come Wednesday? you think they're going to get the job done and move on to the next round of the playing tournament, or do you think it's going to be uh, uh, an early an early departure? Oh, man. Um, I'll, probably, I'll probably predict the win. Um, I think one of the interesting things is going to be what – going to be to watch is uh, how much does Willie trust Jonas Valanciunas? Because the Thunder, they don't really start a traditional center. They have Jalen Williams, the rookie out of Arkansas. They don't have much depth behind him. Like That's that's a matchup where if you wanted to, you could really get JV going. Um, so I you know, I think if they win that game, JV will have to have a good game on the interior. And, and Willie will have to trust them, too. Christian, we always trust you to come on and deliver the goods, brother. You did a tremendous job. Keep up the great work that you're doing for the Advocate and NOLA.com, my friend, and enjoy Wednesday night's playing game. All right, man. Should be fun. Thanks. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Don't! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Good news if you're the Pellies. The 9 seed is 4-0 in playing game versus the 10 seed under the format that used the past two seasons. Memphis beat San Antonio, Indianapolis beat Charlotte in 2021. In 2022, the Pelicans beat the Spurs, and Atlanta beat Charlotte. Three of those four number nine seeds went on to make the playoffs. It would be Indiana, not Indianapolis, but you were fully on track. I think everyone understood. I just wanted to make I just the Pacers. Give you a hard time. Yes. 
What do you look? There's a lot to dive into what Christian said. He's not one to mince words. I did find it interesting when the Pills released the statement about the conditioning stuff. Yeah. About Zion. We're year four and we're still dealing with issues with his weight. How much this is, how much, once again, you can't blame him for getting injured. But Christian's rebuttal to that, and he said, well, you kind of can, is because Zion is not taking care of himself the way that he should. That he's not fully embracing the nutrition and the dieting. That he's not making sure he doesn't put on weight. And I've argued the longest time is that Zion is a special talent. We've never seen someone built like him. His body is not supposed to carry that weight and do what he's supposed to do. Just not. But but we're talking about year four here. Not, not first year. Not, oh, he showed up at the, you know, in Vegas and he was 300 pounds. He was out of shape. Okay, that happens, right. especially he, he the first year. He was a 19-year-old year. who just got a, you know, huge signing bonus. This is now year four, Dawson. And the face of the franchise, the guy that you gave all the money to, we're still having issues and still talking about conditioning. That's still an issue in year four. That's a huge problem. Yeah, and it's weird because it's not a mindset problem, an attitude problem, it doesn't seem like, because we haven't heard really any negative you know, things about that regarding Zion. But, you know, that's the other thing, too. When people go, oh, the medical staff, the medical staff, well, we don't know what the medical staff is telling him and what he's actually doing. And, and then again, like in today's era where you're always, you know, in, in college, you're re-recruiting your players because of the portal. In the NBA, you're re-recruiting your own players because they can leave and force their way out. So they're not going to come out and say, we're giving him the regimen, he's not following it. You know what I mean? So we're not going to know where it's coming from. But, like, it would be helpful maybe to know. And and the other weird thing he said is, why is Zion declining to speak? You know, and, and maybe that's something that his camp – and, and, and his team has kind of decided, hey, there's no reason to talk right now. Just go ahead. and but Like, why can't he get up there and say, yeah, look, I'm doing everything I can to get back. We're just not ready. Or, and I guess maybe they don't want him to get up there and say, well, I disagree with what the team's doing. But, it, again, the team wouldn't be making him available if they were worried about something like that, right? So and, and, and it's that's, concerning to me that he's not going to get up there and just clear the air because everybody's asking. So why don't you just go say, hey, I'm just not ready to go? Or you know, I don't think he cares. Or more importantly, I don't think the people around him cares. I've said this before. He has people in his camp, people that are talking to him, that are not on the same page with what the New Orleans Pelicans want or what the fans want or what anybody else wants. And maybe not even what Zion really wants. And we're, we're talking about year four here, and we still don't know how committed this guy is to playing for the New Orleans Pelicans. But but is what do you, I don't know, though. Like, I... Because he does sound pretty committed when he does speak and when he does play. I just, like, and, and the, the, the conditioning thing with, you know, obviously he's dealing with an injury that makes it more difficult to condition, but clearly that, you know, based on what Christian's saying, it feels like he's not doing enough or not doing what they're, you know, correct prescribing or, you know, you know informing him that he needs to be doing. So that's where it's weird to me because now which one is it? Is it Zion's? Because, you know, the report, Zion's ready to go. He thinks he wants to play. He doesn't know why they're holding him back. Well, or is it Zion's not in shape and he can't play? Like, which one is it? And, and 
Why do we not get to hear it again? Now, David Griffin said we should have done a better job getting him up there. Well, now we're hearing that they're trying to get him up there, and he's refusing. So now that's another weird kind of twist that I, I didn't expect to hear that from Christian this morning. So that's that's the part either. that really surprised me. Like, what, you know, and are we ever going to get an explanation as to why he's not talking when he comes back? Is he going to talk when he comes back? Like, when when does he start talking? You know what I mean? If they announce he's coming back next week because they somehow win this playing tournament and then their playoffs, then is he going to start talking? Like, it's just, why would he not get up there and say, I'm just not ready? Or, and if he, if, you know, why don't he get up there and say, I think I should be playing and they're, they're not letting me play? Like, if that's what he would, like, tell, you know, say something. It feels like it would be better to, although I guess in that situation, it maybe be better to just not say anything at all. Maybe that's the approach he's taking. I, I just don't get it, though. I don't get any of it. I, I just, the whole thing from Jump Street has been weird. With Zion and the Pills. It, it it shouldn't be this hard. It, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't still be things being weird and feeling like after four years they're still not on the same page. Like, that's not how this works. And when he said that, and I respect Christian as all get out, I was like, whoa. I mean, you saw my eyes. I was like, oh. That's interesting. You know, we're still talking about Zion's conditioning. We're still talking about the Pelicans saying, hey, you're available to talk to the media, and he refuses. Why? Like, I don't understand it just from just from a PR point of view. If you're Zion in his camp, why wouldn't you seize the moment to say, Okay, I'm gonna. They're gonna give me availability to the media. So, and first of all, he can talk to the media anytime if he wants to because he's a grown man. So, by the way, doesn't have to be at press conferences. You can talk to the media, you know, from your phone. I just like to point that out. This isn't college where they restrict everything. But let's say you have the opportunity. Why aren't you taking advantage of it? Why aren't you letting the word know? Look, man, I've been working hard. I feel like I'm ready to go. I told the team, I told, I told Coach Willie Green that I'm ready to go. I've been cheering them on. I can't wait to get back out there with my teammates. I can't wait to help them win a playoff series. You know, wh- why not say that? And, and the other thing that doesn't make sense to me is that, like, again, this is the New Orleans media, and, you know, there's, there's always been talks of, well, maybe one day Zion's going to want to go play in New York or play in L.A., whatever. You're in the situation where we know the New Orleans media is not like they're not going to get up there and grill him over it. Like, you know, we know Christian and Ali aren't going to get up there and be like the way we know that some of the northeastern media. No, like, they're not. They're, they're not going to be. He's he, got a chance to go up there and craft the narrative like his him and his team can come up and say, look, Zion, this is what we want to get out. If they ask you this question, spin it this way. If they ask you this question, like he could prepare for this press conference. And yet he's still choosing to not speak at all. So that's why that that doesn't make he could make this into a positive for him. If they ask him a question he doesn't like, he can deflect it. Like, I just don't know why you wouldn't want to get up there and at least give a couple of or if 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 just if, pleasantries. Let, let's say someone when you're talking to them, let's say somebody goes, "Okay, well, Zion, you say that you're ready. So what's holding you back? You know, it, it, it is the team, and you can sidestep and be like, "Look, I don't make those type of decisions. My teammates know I want to be with them." My teammates know I want to be out there playing with them. I want to let everyone know that I want to be out there playing. Then you put the pressure back on the organization. Like Then you're crafting, as you said, the narrative. You're controlling the narrative. You know, the, 
I don't get it, man. I, I don't get going to Portland like he did last year where he w- was away from the team and it made it all weird, okay? And then, you know, you had C.J. McCollum basically had to go out there and say on public television, you know, uh, you know, I haven't talked to Zion yet, and this was like a week in him being on the team. And then, you know, he was, at, he was able to get Zion and talk to him. It, everything's weird about it. Like, there's nothing that is smooth about Zion and the Pelicans. Nothing. Nothing about it. Whether it's the injuries, whether it's the relationship between him and the front office, his handlers, his people, whatever it may be, it's all obtuse. Right, and and the other thing that goes with that, and and we haven't really seen or heard much of it, but when do these teammates get sick of answering for him? You know what I mean? Because it's over and over, like in these press conferences now, Brandon Ingram's getting asked, well, what's the deal? You know, you don't have Zion, this and that, like, I got to imagine some of those guys are sick of having to answer for Zion without him just answering for himself. You know what I mean? And and some of those guys have to sit there and go, look, I, I don't know when Zion's coming back. I don't know why you keep asking me because I'm not him. But that's what it feels like we're going to get to a point. I mean, it's going to be real soon. Now, maybe it won't matter because they might lose on Wednesday and then the season will be over and we won't have to talk about it for a while. But it feels like it's tough on those guys. It's tough on Willie Green. Um, and Again, I, I would imagine there is some sort of reason. I don't think they just wake, you know, I don't think Zion just wakes up and says, I don't want to talk to anybody today, but I just don't really, I can't come up with a, with a really clear-cut answer as to why he would be declining that opportunity. I don't get it, and the whole situation is weird, and it doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't be, but yet we're about to enter a fourth offseason with the Pelicans, and there's all these question marks about this team and about Zion. Yet again, that gets a big old-fashioned woof. Want to hear from you about that topic or any topic? You can get your phone calls in 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. The game hotline is open and ready to hear from you. We'll take your phone calls next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, The Houston Astros avoid being swept at the Minnesota Twins by salvaging the series, winning 5-1 yesterday. They improved to 4-6 overall on the season. Chaz McCormick had four RBIs in the game. Bobby Abreu becomes the first Astros player to begin his Astros career on a 10-game hitting streak, which is interesting. He came up, and Hunter Brown combined on a two-hitter. He was the phenom last year, and he pitched extremely well. Dubon had two hits and scored two runs, while Jeremy Pena and Yanner Diaz each had two hits for the Astros, who avoided the three-game sweep. It would be Jose Abreu. You said Bobby Abreu, which threw me me for a loop. There we go. It took me a while to churn through the gears of of Bobby Abreu, great player back in his day, though. Yeah, he was. He was. Is he related to Jose? I would doubt it. There's okay. a lot of a Bray use, but I mean, it's possible. Certainly possible. <laughs> uh, look, Brown looked really good. 
allowing an unearned run and two hits over seven innings with seven Ks and two walks. He had that bad first start against Detroit, so it was nice to see him kind of bounce back in a big way. Man reached 98.2 on the fastball. Ooh. And he has that filthy slider, too. He's good. Yeah, he's he, good. Yeah, he feels like the like one of the key pieces early here as you kind of wait for the lineup to get going. Um, now, we'll see on Lance McCullers. Uh, I feel a little bit about McCullers the way, you know, he, he's a guy that you're not necessarily expecting to be back right away because he tends to take a little bit longer to get back from injury. So as long as that's the case, you're going to be seeing Hunter Brown run out there every fifth day. So, you know, what you can get from him as a starter, I think you're seeing a little bit of the future there. And, and I wonder if he pitches him, you know, well enough to where the, the Astros maybe reevaluate their plans for him. Now, I know they probably want to have him on an innings count this year. So I don't know if he stays in the rotation um, once you get some guys back. But he looks the part. He looks the part. He looks like a guy who's maybe a little further along in his development than we than we even uh, wondered coming in. I would agree with that. What do we think of McCormick as the leadoff hitter until Altuve comes back? You think that's yeah? I think it's fine. I think you know, I, I think mean, it works. I mean, Chaz is playing really well right now, and and you know a lot of people lost their minds over Jake Myers getting an opening day start. Uh, is one out of 162 games. I think it's fine. Chaz is the guy. He's playing well. Um, he hasn't been like a consistently great hitter in his career, so you wonder if this is more of a hot streak than something sustainable. But that's fair. As of now, there's no reason to change that. And I mean, look, if you have to, if you have to throw somebody else up there, that that's not a big deal. I, I, I think the the way the lineup's currently constructed, as long as the guys who are supposed to hit hit, they're going to be fine. And you know, again, if you can get Jeremy Pena going, that would be really nice. He's he had a couple of hits in the finale, so maybe starting to get it going, but still right around 200. And we know Bregman's going to come along, but that's usually going to take more than uh, more than just a couple of weeks. So they're going to be okay. Uh, I thought the bullpen. Showed you, you know, they, you know, Presley looked fine, and and he's looked good as the closer. And I think the questions are probably more in the seventh and eighth inning, um, but they pieced it together last year, and they have much of those, most of those guys back. So I think they're, until further notice, I'm not really concerned about that either. No, and it's still so early in the season. Tucker got tossed yesterday. You're like, really? I don't know what was said, but. Felt like a bad call there, too. I mean, I. It was I, a bad call that set up him to argue to begin with because yeah. he got into it with the ump before even Dusty was able to get out of the dugout. The base running, the base running, the line, you know, running in the baseline rules have never made sense to me. Um, I, I don't know where in on the beautiful baseball diamond they play on where they're supposed to run if they can't run where Kyle Tucker ran. Uh, that's where the base is. I don't know if they know that. That's where, like, he's got to get to the base <laughs> itself. <laughs> And that's where he was, but apparently that's not where he's allowed to be. So I really don't know what he's supposed to do. Um, but that rule, the, the way the rule's written is confusing. The way the rule is carried out is confusing. And yesterday, yeah, he, he gets called out for running to first base and stepping on it with his foot the way I was taught you're supposed to do it. I was taught that way as well. But what do we know? Right. What do we know? Astros, once again, 4-6 and six on the season. Framer Valdez, the big lefty. He will take the mound as Houston opens up a three-game set at the Pittsburgh Pirates starting today. Uh, Framer has allowed just two runs over 12 innings in his first two starts, so that's what we call uh, efficient. That's called efficient. And look, we've talked about this about the Astros. 
it takes time for them. They're always sluggish out the gates. It always takes them a long time to kind of get things started. Bregman is notoriously takes a long time to get started. So, yes, no Altuve, no Lance McCullers, no Brantley to start the season. But with the exception of the Tampa Bay Rays, who are rewriting the record books, you know, they now share a record with a, a franchise that no longer exists. <laughs> I mean, look at the AL West. Rangers and Angels are 5-4. and four. Astros and Mariners are 4-6. and six. Yep. They're all just kind of slow starters. Yeah, no, and and the Rangers have been struggling offensively. I got to listen to a bit of their game against the Cubs the other day on my way back from Eunice catching LSUE, by the way, 39-0 and now over on the Cajun Prairie. But uh, no one's separating themselves except for the Rays, who seem to be probably the best team in the history of baseball through nine games. Um, they look unbeatable. Now, they'll play some better competition coming up, and it'll be exciting to see. But, like, that's still unbelievable what they've done. A Major League Baseball team just <laughs> – and, and, and a team that no one really talked about, and I'm guilty of it. I, I kind of wrote them off this year. I thought this is the year everything catches up to them, third lowest payroll in baseball. They still don't pay anybody. I don't think they're going to get it done. And here they are. They're 9-0, and and it's nine games. you know. And I saw a tweet by somebody the other day that they're, uh, you know, if you comp- equated the Major League season to an NFL season, they'd be like somewhere with a couple of minutes left in the first quarter of the first game is where they would be. So uh, that kind of gives you an idea of how early it is. But – Great start for the Rays. The Astros are going to be fine. Nobody's going to be dominant in the AL West uh, unless Houston becomes that team. And I think, you know, we'll see if Seattle turns things around. I get a feeling they will. Um, I still think the Angels are a bigger threat than the Rangers, but we saw Mike Trout and Shohei Otani have a couple of their vintage games in which the Angels lose over the weekend. That still seems to be a thing at times. <laughs> it's still like that's still a thing at times. Always. It never changes for the Angels. And look, it's early in the season. Still got plenty of time. And if you're an Astros fan, you know Bregman will get going. You know Altuve is going to be coming back. You'd like Jeremy Pena to be playing better, hitting better, rather. A- absolutely. But Alvarez has been a monster, right? He's just going nuts out there early on. So, you know, Abreu is doing his thing he's been he's made that adjustment quite quite well right coming over and just he fits right into what they want to do which I guess you're not too surprised by because they tend not to bring in guys that can't do that right you know what I'm excited about we've got we've got something beautiful taking place and because the NBA kind of they they didn't do it correctly in which I you know we have an 830 game for the Pelicans in the playing tournament that's miserable um, that means I have to be up at ridiculous hours. Um, but the Astros play at, at a crisp 5.35 p.m. tonight. That's a beautiful time to start a baseball game. That is a beautiful time to start baseball. I will baseball. see every inning if I want to. And I would say that they should be starting at 5.35 every night. And I'm even, look, 6.05, I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to really be mad at 6.05. Yeah. And he, look, even 6.35 I can deal with. Um, when you get to 8 o'clock, no. Yeah, 8 no. o'clock starts are, are just – and, of course, the Astros – I mean, it's nothing new. We'll see the West Coast, it is what they, what it is. When they play in the AL West, they're going to play a lot of late games. But 535 in Pittsburgh, I thought that was a great time to start a game. Yeah, the Rays over the weekend became the first team to win each of their first eight games by four-plus runs since the 1884 St. Louis Maroons. We remember that like it was yesterday. That team was special. So special. So special. <laughs> like I said – 
Uh, what? What are they doing? Yes, they are doing something absolutely phenomenal, and rightfully so, right? They've started off so good. They've just been so good, and they put themselves in the spot. But look, Tampa Bay always knows how to do more with less is kind of their deal, right? This is what they do. Do more with less. Hey, our front office doesn't want to give us any money. All right, we'll figure it out. Not to worry. We'll figure it out. Still plenty of time for the Astros to figure things out as well, and they'll try to do so on the road at Pittsburgh starting a three-game set tonight. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll finalize the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. It's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I want to take a moment to thank our guest Scott Rabelais from The Advocate giving us his reports on the Masters Jeff Palermo from the Louisiana Radio Network and Tiger Rag Radio talking all things LSU and then of course Christian Clark from The Advocate and NOLA.com who covers the New Orleans Pelicans Final results of the poll question of the day. What was the biggest surprise about Sunday at the Masters? 69% of you say Phil's late charge into the top five. 23% say Kepka's choking it away. 5% say Tiger's withdrawal due to injury. And 3% say Rom surging for the win. I did have a, I had, I had something we didn't bring up yet about the coverage. Did you watch? Thanks to all who voted and left their comments. Yes, coverage. Did you watch the uh, the, the 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 jacket presentation in Butler Cabin? I did not. We, I tuned off and I did something else. You did the right thing. We need to make that a better five to ten minutes of television. That was an awkward kind of. Whoa, man! And Jim Nance is as good as 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 good as it comes. So I don't think it's on him there. We had this weird thing where we were turning it over to, I think, Fred Ridley's his name, the Augusta chairman, where he was trying to ask questions, but then, you know, Jim Nance was also kind of asking some questions, and Sam Bennett was the the, high, the the low amateur who was, you know, in there as well with Rahm and Scheffler, and there wasn't a clear situation of who the questions were being asked to at times, and then we have the jacket ceremony, which, I mean, that's, as, you know, that's always going to be a little awkward trying to get the jacket on everything like that. Uh, I just thought that was a tough five to ten minutes of television to watch, and as good as the Masters coverage is, we need to we need to work on that little sit down. I think we can do better as a right because they do the sit down before the jacket ceremony, right? Right. This was the jacket ceremony essentially, but but you you had this lead in where they didn't do the jacket until the end. Then they have this thing which, you know, people were giving Sam Bennett some some trouble for it for getting up and leaving. I think he's supposed to get up at that point, but they could have had some sort of well, and we thank Sam Bennett and, and awarding him his low amateur. But but Sam Bennett just basically got up while they were talking to John Rahm in the camera shot. There was just a lot going on where from I was like, 
We got this whole, we just put on, you know, 25 to 30 hours of golf coverage over the whole weekend, but these last five, 10 minutes are just off the rails here. We just got to get them under control. I think you need to write a strongly worded letter. I don't think so because I don't want to impact the opportunity to ever go to Augusta. I don't want to have any negative, you know, discussions. Uh, it doesn't want to jeopardize a future opportunity. Yes. It is one of my goals to, to get to Augusta. I'd love to play it. If not play it, then certainly attend the Masters. So uh, I don't want to jeopardize that. I'll, I'll tell them they did great if that's what they want to hear. You want to go out there and try to be one of those amateurs, do you? Want to no. Try to qualify for the Masters? No, I don't want to try to qualify. I would like to play the course uh, in non-competitive conditions. Nice. Which I don't know how realistic. But again, you know, going to the Masters, of course, would be the more realistic opportunity there. I'll give you a sneak peek on what it would be like for you or I playing Augusta. Pine straw. Pine straw. Pine straw. <laughs> Ball rolling up the green and down the green. <laughs> and back around the green and over the green again. Amen corner would eat our lunch, dude. Just, I don't know if I'd just, get there. But Oh man. I'd enjoy every it's one of those it's like okay, if I shot two hundred, whatever, that's two hundred shots I get. I'm never gonna be back. So I might At as least well you can say as, that you played. Yeah, I might as well take as many shots as possible. There you go. A uh, good way to start off the week. Tomorrow on tap, Brett Chancy from the Locked On Astros podcast, Jim Gazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press, and of course, Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. We'll do it all again tomorrow. Shout out to the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Eiserlo, picking up the slack today. Oof. I was on the struggle bus. Still No, am. look, it happens. The, the, the seasons are changing, which means I'm due for an allergy situation. I've had some minor flare-ups. I haven't had a serious one. I'm due for one, just so you know. It usually comes right around the time the weather starts to get warmer, which we've now had this weird kind of cold front come back in and really kind of – that's what kind of does it for me too. It's the change in – if it's 90 one day and 60 the next, that usually doesn't go well. So for now, though, I'm feeling great, honestly. feel fantastic. There we go, so bud. We're trying to keep it that way. Got to get the, uh, the vitamins and minerals in there to uh, try to avoid whatever's going on with you. As well, what's going on with me is – Hey, in between the rain on Saturday, right? I'm gonna go walk 2.8 miles. But good for you though, right? We're, we're to get my exercise in. But anytime it rains, what happens to all that pollen? Yeah, that gets that there gets it circulated. Is. What what are we what are we in the 5K? What are we three weeks away? Three weeks. That's it. It's crunch time, huh? Now I got to get it together. My goal is to once again just finish the 5K. Yeah, that's the goal. Not a time, not a place. It's just finish the 5K. My, my goal is finish it at a jogging pace. I don't want to have to slow down to a walk at any point. I'm getting there. I got past the two-mile threshold, so I'm closing in because it's only, what, you know, 3.3 and some change. So feeling good. But, yeah, I got a little work to do as well. Oh. For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlo, I'm Raymond Parsa third, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Footnotes with Kevin Foote is up next here on The Game.